Well, we live in a culture that is rapidly changing. And in this new world that we find ourselves in, it is increasingly difficult to be a Christian. Have you noticed? I have a hat, and please, everyone, breathe, breathe, okay? Breathe. Deep breaths, deep breaths, deep breaths, deep breaths. <laughs> so I have a Red Sox hat, and please, again, breathe, okay? I have a Red Sox hat, and the reason is because I lived in Boston for three years, and I instantly became a fan. I fell in love right away. My first year in, in Boston was the year that they won the World Series for the very first time in 86 years, breaking the curse of the Bambino, uh, beating the Boston Red Sox in the championship game, being down three games. It was the whole Kurt Schilling bloody sock. I mean, this is the stuff that legend is made of. And um, I was in. I, I was in love. So, moved to Colorado, and I would wear this hat around, and it was no big deal. And then I moved here. <laughs> so, I innocently put this on and wear it to the Hatboro Parade. And, uh, see, I had no idea. Nobody told me this. <laughs> True, amen. So I'm wearing this hat, and I see a giant green creature coming down the road. Is this an alien? Is it a giant anteater? What is this creature coming down the road? I, I guess they call it the Philly fanatic. Never, what is this? And it's, this thing is coming straight for me. Philly Fanatic walks up, literally grabs the hat off my head and chucks it across the street. Get this out of here. My daughter is freaking out. She's terrified, and I'm just in shock. I, we've, my wife got this on, on camera. So, so there it is. The hat is gone. He chucked it across the street. There was just no, no love. So anyways, I only wear this in private. <laughs> or in Colorado, because I guess they don't mind in Colorado, but not here. Anyways. So I just tell that story because this is a bit of the picture of the situation we find ourselves in. We live in a culture that is more and more unfriendly to our Christian faith and values. And there are so many stories of this just, you know, rising up to the surface in our culture today. Whether it's, you know, just a few months ago, there was a Christian woman who was quietly praying outside of a Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia. And I don't know if you remember the story, but our own state representative, Brian Sims, showed up and began bullying and berating this woman for nine minutes on video and then posted it on YouTube. You know, and that's our representative. It's the story of Brittany McComb, who was a high school valedictorian, who was given the honor to stand up and give a speech to her graduating class. And yet the moment that she mentions Jesus and how faith in Jesus 
had helped her get through high school, her microphone was shut off and she was asked to leave the stage. It's the city of Houston a few years ago when they issued a subpoena demanding that pastors turn over their sermons regarding gender and sexuality. And, and truly, these are not isolated stories. Truly, this is a growing trend in a secular culture that is no longer just indifferent to Christianity, but is increasingly even hostile towards our faith. And so, friends, this isn't Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Welcome to Babylon. And in this new world, we've got to figure out how to live. And we need to figure out how do we do this well? How do we thrive in a Babylon-like culture? And so, in this series, we're going to find out from Daniel. Because Daniel did exactly that. He thrived in Babylon. And so we're beginning a series today. We're beginning a brand new summer Bible study in the book of Daniel. How awesome is that? So please bring your Bibles as we go through the book of Daniel. And, and I know there's travel and vacations and you'll be able to catch up online. The messages will be up online. The book of Daniel breaks down really nicely into two halves. The first half, Daniel 1 through 6, and then the second half, Daniel 7 through 12. The first half of the book of Daniel, it's all about stories of Daniel and his friends. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the lion's den. That's all in chapters 1 through 6. And then in chapters 7 through 12, we're going to read about visions of Daniel about the future. Some of those visions get pretty crazy if you've read them. Daniel lived 26 centuries ago. And yet, this book resonates with so many of the issues that you and I are facing today. And what's amazing about Daniel is that Daniel found a way not just to survive, but to thrive in Babylon. And if Daniel can do that, then surely you and I can learn how to thrive in our own Babylon-like culture today. Just a word really quick to those of you who might be here and might not be a Christian. As we're talking about how to honor God in a culture that doesn't honor God. I'm just so excited. I'm so glad you're here. And I believe that Daniel is going to speak powerfully to you. Because Daniel was a leader in his own right. And the life of Daniel spoke powerfully to the people around him. And I, I just believe that it's going to speak to you as well. So open up your Bible. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to share three things from Daniel chapter 1. Three things we can do just like Daniel to thrive and not just survive in a modern day Babylon. So let's pray. We'll dive in. God, thanks for this morning. Thank you for the way that you're working in our lives. God, we're excited to be here today to open up your word and to study from Daniel and his life. God, I just pray that we would be inspired to step up and to live Daniel-like lives in our places here where we find ourselves today. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So I got three things we can do to thrive in Babylon just like Daniel. And the first one's a really important one. Number one, we want to rest in God's sovereignty. When you find yourself in a Babylon-like world, first thing we want to do is we want to rest in God's sovereignty. And if you want to know the secret to Daniel thriving in Babylon, it is this. Daniel rested in God's sovereignty. Take a look at verse 1 as we dive in. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And of course, Daniel and his friends are captured as well, and they are taken to a place called Babylon. What is Babylon? What is Babylonia? Well, in Daniel's day, Babylon was on the map. And if you were doing anything in the world, you were probably doing it in Babylon. You can see Babylon is right there on the Tigris River in present-day Iraq. But the Babylonian Empire grew as Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians conquered more and more land. Babylon really was the superpower of the day. And as you can see, they had enormous power and influence. So that even Daniel's city, Jerusalem, and Daniel and his friends were captured and taken to Babylon. Now Babylon, the city itself, would have been one of the wonders of the world. You would have entered this city through the blue stones of the Ishtar Gate, down this processional way, and of course there would have, that blue, those blue stones were covered with these lions. And off in the distance you see those trees, the the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the wonders of the ancient world, built by King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And these tall skyscrapers would have dotted the skyline, these ziggurats, these rising buildings. The tallest one, Edmanenki, would have risen up to 300 feet into the sky. And don't we know today that behind every tower, there's an even bigger ego? And that's what Babylon represented. Going all the way back to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. That's what this king represented, King Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon, the name itself, means the gate of the gods. And what we need to understand today is just how set against God and how evil Babylon was. In the Bible, Babylon is the personification of evil. So that at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the angels are shouting, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Because this is the word picture of a city and a culture that is set against God. Babylon is the ultimate wicked nation and culture. And this is where Daniel finds himself living. And we look at at Daniel again, verses 1 and 2. 
This is exactly what we see play out in these early verses. We see a culture set against God. Where King Nebuchadnezzar goes to Jerusalem, he enters the temple of God and he takes golden articles from that temple. And did you catch what he did with those articles? He brought them back to Babylon and they He put them in the treasure house of his God, most surely with treasures from the other gods he conquered. And what is he doing? He is, of course, relativizing them. They are one among many. And this faith that would have been of ultimate value to Daniel is completely relative in Babylon. Can you relate? And here in in these early verses, the city of Jerusalem, the temple are being besieged. And in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar is going to burn it to the ground. It is the ultimate act of violence and aggression against God and his people. And many of those people are going to be captured and taken to Babylon, just like Daniel. This is Babylon. It's the ultimate wicked nation and culture. But the key for Daniel, the key for all of us here today, is what we read in verse 2. You're going to want to mark it, underline it, highlight it. Because this is so important to everything that comes after. The key for Daniel is this little phrase, the Lord delivered. The Lord delivered. And right here at the beginning of the story, Daniel wants us to know something that is so foundational to who he is. And and it's why he's going to do everything that he does after this. He wants us to know at the very beginning of the story that the reason he is in Babylon is because the Lord delivered. God put him there. And he's saying, I may not like it. I may not understand it. It may be painful and confusing. But the Lord delivered. And so I am going to rest in a God who is sovereign. Because I am here because of the Lord. And as we find ourselves in a modern day Babylon, this is the key for all of us. It's the key to Daniel's life. It's the key to everything we're going to study. We need to learn, just like Daniel, to rest in God's sovereignty. Because God is in control of who's in control. And when the wicked succeed, like with King Nebuchadnezzar, when bad things happen, like they did to Daniel and his friends, I guess think God was sleeping? Was God surprised? Was God up in heaven throwing his arms in the air? I don't know what to do. What's happening in this world? No. God is in control. And God is always in control of who's in control. And that is the powerful truth that we're going to see over and over in the book of Daniel. And there is so much hope here for us, church, that no matter how far the culture goes, no matter who gets elected, no matter the personal challenges that we face in our lives, we don't have to be afraid because God's got the throne. See, God is in control and we can rest In God's sovereignty. And that gives us a tremendous amount of hope 
and freedom today. Even in our own Babylon. It's the secret to thriving in a modern day Babylon. Second thing I see in the book of Daniel. This freedom from God, with God's sovereignty allows Daniel to do something amazing. And that is to inspire with excellence. So I want you to think about your workplace. Your secular workplace. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you're a student and you go to a public school. Or you are a part of something that's in our culture that may not be friendly to God. Or, or wherever you find yourself during the week. How do you inspire people for God? Well, the way that Daniel inspired people for God, the way that he had such influence in his culture, was that he did just this. He inspired people with excellence. Look at verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So here they are, the boys of Babylon. And they are excellent in every way. So why were these boys chosen? Was it because of their faith in God? No. They were chosen because of their excellence. They were chosen because of their aptitude, because of their ability to learn, because of their skill level. And that excellence gave them an opportunity to represent God in the palace of the king. Think about that. Inspire with excellence. We read later on in Daniel chapter 6 about Daniel. It says, Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. These, this is the top leadership in the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel became distinguished. Why? Because an excellent spirit was in him. So much so, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So what distinguished Daniel? His faith? No. In Babylon... It was a spirit of excellence that distinguished Daniel. And excellence became his platform to influence the world for God. And by the way, three kingdoms were mightily influenced by Daniel. And kings, we're going to see, were turned around by the life that he lived. But it all goes back to excellence. Daniel didn't lead with his faith. He led by excellence, backed up by character, backed up by faith and devotion to God. And so I just want to challenge you today in your life to live with excellence. Whatever you do, wherever you go, there would be a spirit of excellence in you. What is excellence? Excellence is showing up and bringing your best. And so when you show up at home at night with your family, you bring your best to your home. You bring your best to your wife. You bring your best to your children. You bring your best to your secular job. You show up every day and bring your best. That is a spirit of excellence. It affects every area of your life, from your 
attitude, to your character, to your integrity, to how hard you work. And we're not doing this so people notice us, right? This isn't excellence so that the world notices me. No, it is a spirit of excellence because excellence honors the God that we serve. And when we do that, when we show up every day and we bring our best, not for ourselves, but to honor the God we serve, people around us are going to notice. I love the story uh, that Dom tells. And can we just thank Dom for leading the uh, VBS this week? I don't think we thanked you. So we got to thank you. I love the story Dom tells about working at Atlantico. And, um, you know, he was in, he moved up into management and he did everything with such excellence. And he always sought to lead based on what he learned in the Bible and from Jesus. So, you know, what does love look like? And um, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath. There's so much in the Bible that gives us wisdom for our lives. And so he would lead that way. He would lead with excellence. And I love the story he tells about um, people would come up to him. He'd do something and, and they go, how did you do that? And he goes, well, you want to know? He said, yeah. And he's, he'd ask him a second time. He'd go, you want to know? He said, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, I learned it from Jesus. And they said, yeah, you're right. I really didn't want to know. <laughs> but what's incredible is that when your life is marked by excellence, excellence becomes the calling card for your faith. Isn't that amazing? It's, faith, it's excellence backed up by character, backed up by faith and devotion. Years ago, I had an opportunity to go to a public middle school to see some of the students in my youth group. They were doing a, an eighth grade presentation of learning. It's the big final project. So I show up, you know, at their public school. I go to Mrs. Bittner's class, eighth grade teacher, and there's, you know, Mario, Dee, and Jeremy. And they get up and they do their presentation at their public school. And they did an excellent job. But what was amazing to me is, um, is what the teacher said afterwards. Because they finished their presentation and it was at the very end of the day. And the teacher said, you know, my day really did not start off well. And I've had a rough day. I've, this has been a tough day. But when I looked at my schedule... And I saw that D, Mario, and Jeremy were given a presentation at the end of the day. I knew that no matter what happened, that this day was going to end well. The boys of Babylon, excellent in every way. And you know what, Mrs. Bittner? She knew what these boys represented. And their life, their excellence, became a calling card for their faith and devotion for Jesus Christ. That's how you inspire people in a modern-day Babylon. We don't always lead with our faith. But we lead with our excellence because it brings glory to the God that we serve. It's how you live in a modern-day Babylon. You rest in God's sovereignty. You inspire with excellence. Last one. We're going to resolve to honor God. No matter what comes our way, we're resolved to honor God. Daniel resolved to honor God. Look at verse 4. Ashpenaz, this is this, this helper, 
was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Welcome to the King's College. King Nebuchadnezzar, that is. They were to learn the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. This is the cafeteria plan. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshiach. To Azariah, Abednego. This is interesting because these boys were given names that honored the Lord. They honored Yahweh. They go to Babylon and they are now given names that give honor to the Babylonian gods. Their names are being changed. They're being fully immersed in this culture now. But here's our key verse, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to de defile himself. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So Daniel says, all right, I'll read the literature. By the way, literature, that's reading books. He says, I'll learn the language. I'll speak Babylonian. I'll read Babylonian. Try to change my name. Can't control that. And by the way, isn't there a lot of redefining happening in our culture today? Yeah. And that bothers us, just like it bothered Daniel. But we can't always change that, can we? But we can always do what Daniel did. What it says is Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Circle that word resolved. That's a powerful word. He is resolved. You know, culture is going to do what culture is going to do. But Daniel's saying, as for me, as for what I believe, as for how I'm going to live my life, I am resolved to honor God. And by the way, he made that choice as a teenager. Resolve to honor God. It's powerful. And immediately it's put to the test. What's up with the food and wine? Daniel's being asked to eat food and wine that, number one, would have gone against some of the Old Testament food laws. There's a lot you could study there. And number two, he's being asked to eat food and wine that would have been offered to Babylonian gods in worship. And I love Daniel's approach. He's very gracious about it, and he asks for permission not to defile himself this way. He's resolved to honor God. And look what happens, verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. God's in control of who's in control. But the Lord told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king, who's assigned your food and drink. He's like, I'm kind of afraid of this guy, Nebuchadnezzar. He's a terrifying guy. 
Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and their wine, and they were to drink, and wine they were to drink, and gave them vegetables instead. Let's all hear it for the Daniel diet. No Wawa hoagies, apparently. But it worked, right? And look what happens in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And look. Again, the excellence in every manner of wisdom and understanding about, with, about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Wow, isn't that amazing? So Daniel could have compromised, but he didn't. He honored God in a culture that didn't honor God. And God showed up in his life. And God gave him wisdom and favor. And it all started with this. I resolve to honor God. And even in our own lives, in our own culture, would we have that same strength of resolve? Whatever comes my way, I resolve to honor God. Well, the Denver Broncos are my team. Sorry for another sports illustration. Didn't realize that. Anyways. They have a new head coach this year in Vic Fangio. And I couldn't be more excited because this coach is bringing a new motto to the team. Death by inches. And his idea is that the way you lose a game is, a, is death by inches. And, you know, we've died a lot of death by inches in Denver, so we're pretty excited about this. And uh, they're actually making t-shirts. I love this. Death by inches no more. Great, right? But isn't that what compromise is when you think about compromise? Compromise is a death by inches. And Daniel could have died a death by inches. Oh, it's just an inch. It's just the king's food. It's just the king's wine. It's, it's an inch of compromise. It's, it's an inch of, that, of entertainment. It's an inch of prayerlessness. It's an inch of, I, I really don't want to go to church anymore on Sundays. It's an inch of a bad relationship. And believe me, Satan would love nothing more than to use our godless culture to make us godless people. And it will be a death by inches. But Jesus came so that we could say, death by inches, no more. And what I love about Jesus, what I love about the cross and the resurrection is that Jesus lived every single inch of his life for you and me. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead so that we could say, death by inches no more. 
I resolve to honor God. So we close today. We come to this table, this communion table. Isn't it interesting? Daniel found himself at a table. And it was a table of compromise. And today we find ourselves at a table. And you know what I love? It's a table of conviction. This is who we are. This is what we represent. We are Christians. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And we stand for something good and powerful in our culture today. And that's what this table represents. We are revolutionaries and radicals. Because we choose to honor God in a culture that relativizes our faith, in a culture that is unfriendly to our faith, we come to a table of conviction. We say, I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm going to live for him. And the way that we do that is just like Daniel. I rest in God's sovereignty. I'm going to inspire people around me with excellence. No matter what happens, I resolve to honor Christ. Because he gave everything for me. He gave every inch took the the crown of thorns. He bled, he died, he gave his life for us. He loves us that much. He rose from the dead to give us new life so that we could say, I'm going to give every inch of my life for you, Jesus. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body. It was broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood shed for you, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is what we believe. This is what we stand for today. And so I invite you to share in this table. As a follower of Christ, if If you're here today and you're just exploring, that is wonderful. You can let this go. Say, you know what? I'm not ready for that. We have two banners. One of them says, genuineness is encouraged. So this is a church where it's okay to not believe what we believe. We actually like that. You would be here today. Let's pray and let's celebrate this table today. God, thank you for this gathering of friends, for the truth that you're sovereign over our lives, the incredible hope we have in Jesus. Thank you for going all the way to the cross and dying for our sins. And God, thank you for rising from the dead so that we could have life in you, eternal life, abundant life. And in so many ways, our culture seeks to extinguish that life. But I just pray, I hope Community Church, that our light would shine brighter and brighter. That we would be known for spirit of excellence and a trust in God and a resolve to honor you. And even as you loved us, may we be known for our love for you and our love for the people around us. You can, you're here. Thank you.